today's topic's a little bit different. In fact, last week I got a lot of good positive responses, like, hey, that was good, I needed that, some good emails, a few phone calls, a few face-to-face conversations. I got a feeling this week I'm going to get a lot of crickets, okay? Because the topic is, I believe in God, but I trust in money. If you're here for the first time today, please understand, we do talk about money. Secondly, we don't talk about it every week, maybe once or twice every year. But we talk about it because we know the importance behind it. But yet, when we're in the church and we start talking about money, all of a sudden, things start to change, right? It's like, oh, no, here we go. He's going to make me feel guilty. He's going to push some buttons today, try and get some money out of us. My heart started to beat real fast. If you got a Fitbit on or something right, like, right now, look at it, because it's probably 120, 130 beats. You're starting to sweat. Your, your palms are sweaty, right? Because when we talk about church and we talk about money, for some reason, there's like this emotional and physical thing that just happens in us. And some of you are trying to figure out, how do I get out of here right now? Maybe one or two of you are like, man, that communion juice really starting to mess with me. We haven't even done communion yet, so you can't even use that as an excuse. But there is something about it, right? When we talk about church and we talk about the money, something happens inside of us. And yet it's an important topic for us. And it's not just important because we think it's important. It's important because we, we find that, that Jesus talks about money quite a bit. In fact, if you look in Scripture, you find that 15% of Jesus' teachings are all about money. That's more than faith, prayer, heaven, and hell combined. But if we even stretch that farther and we look at the whole Bible, there are 2,440 verses about money. Five times the amount that we find about prayer. So it must be important to God. It's very important to Jesus' teachings. And so it should be important to us, especially if we call ourselves followers of Jesus. But here's the deal with money. If we're not careful... Money can derail us from being the people that God has created us to be. And again, over the next few moments, we're going to talk through that. There's a great story that that tells this so well. It's out of the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 19. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. If you don't, there's some Bibles there in front of you. Uh, And by the way, if you get one of those Bibles, you're like, man, I don't have a Bible or mine's looking a little ratty. Please take it home. They're free. We don't charge for the Bibles that are here. We love to see every one of them gone. Even if you just want to steal them, that's fine, okay? (laughs) Steal them, put them in your house, that's good. But we we want to give those away. We're also going to put it up here on the screen. You can follow along in your Journey Church app or on your program. Here's what it says. Matthew 19, starting with verse 16. Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? This man is making an assumption. All he has to do is good things. If he does good things, then he can have eternal life. But look at Jesus' response to him in verse 17. It says, why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. As best we know, this young man is a Jewish person. Uh, He knows the Jewish laws, which means he knows the Jewish commandments because he learned those when he was a kid. I mean, these were things that your parents would have taught you every single day. And so he knows what it takes to follow God, to be a follower of God. And yet, here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, here's the deal. If you want eternal life, then do all the commandments that you already know. But then here's the response by this young man. Verse 18. Which ones? 
He says, which ones? Now, there's two possible reasons for this. The first one is he really wants to know, are there certain commandments I really need to follow so that I can have eternal life? My guess is it's the other reason. I think he's showing off. Now, I think this is a moment where he's got uh, Jesus captive. He's got a, a crowd around him that's captive. And so when he says which ones, he's, he's showing off in front of all of these individuals and people and Jesus who is there. Here's Jesus' response. It says, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. Some of us who are a little bit older, we remember back in the days when we were young, and we thought we knew everything. Remember those days? I, I kind of have that image here with this man, that he's walking up, he's there, chest is, is puffed out, he's got a little smirk on his face, because we all had that little smirk back in the day, like we knew everything. And so Jesus starts listing out these different commandments, and I think as he's listing them out, the guy's like, yep, check, check, did that yesterday. Yep, I'm going to do that today. I'm good to go. Hey, Jesus, is that all you got? Because I, I think I'm in, a, in pretty good shape here. But there's something about these commandments that, that Jesus lists right here. He doesn't list the first four commandments. Those are all about a relationship with God. He actually lists commandments five through nine, which are all connected to, really, love your neighbor as yourself. But notice he does one thing. He leaves out number 10. And number 10 says, do not covet what your neighbor has. I wonder, in fact, I know, Jesus knew exactly where this guy was. Hey, he knew something about this guy that nobody else knew. Because think about it just for a moment. Do not covet what your neighbor has. That really fits into love your neighbor as yourself. But could Jesus have left that out because he knew this is the one struggle he had? We can see with our eyes if someone commits adultery, if someone murders, right? But they honor their father and mother. Coveting is something very different. Coveting is something that we do internally. Could Jesus have known in this moment, which I'm sure he did, that there was something bigger at play here? The issue, the issue was a heart issue for this young man. Look at verse 21. Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus teaches this in Luke 12, 34. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, Jesus knew <laughs> this young man was doing all the right things. He was. He was following all the commandments. But there was one thing that he just could not let go of. And that one thing was the heart issue. It was his money. It was his wealth. And so he declined an invitation to follow Jesus. Here's what's interesting. It's the only time in Scripture we ever find someone decline an invitation from Jesus to follow him. Every other time, people are like, yep, I'm in. I'll do this. The only time we find that. Now, again, this is a good Jewish man, right? He's following all these commandments. He's doing exactly what he's supposed to be doing. In fact, if he's a good Jewish man, he's following all these commandments, means he's giving, okay? And, and in that culture, you know, in church, we talk about tithing, uh, which we say 10%. In that culture, it was actually more than that. You had three tithes that you paid. It equaled about 23% every single year that would go out. Part of that would go to the Levites and the tabernacle and the synagogue to take care of the things that were going to happen there. Part of it would go out to help those that were needy and poor. And then another part would go to parties. So I'm thinking we should start a tie for parties here at the Journey. What do you think? That would be kind of neat. So they had big elaborate parties, Passover, and, and Tabernacle booths, all kinds of different things. But anyway, we won't get into that. 
He's doing all the right things. But Jesus says, you're doing all the right things, but your heart's not in the right place. Jesus says, in the end, I think, now be generous. Be generous with what you have. When I look at the story of the wealthy young man, I think to myself, children isn't a whole lot different than you and I in some ways. We'll look at ourselves and we're like, hey, you know what, I'm a pretty good person. I, I follow Jesus' teachings. You know, I, I, don't, I don't cuss, I don't gamble, I don't have an addiction. I read my Bible every day. I, I pray every day. I come to church most weeks. You know, I, I'm, I'm actually not, not a bad person at all. I, I'm pretty good. I, I listen to K-Love. I, I speak Christian language when I need to. I'm doing the right things. And Jesus says, that's great. You're doing some really good things. But are you generous with what you have? And when Jesus asks that question, we go back to, well, I believe in God, but, but I actually trust in money. Yeah, there, there's this one heart issue that I have that I can't get rid of, that I can't deal with, because this is mine. This is my stuff. I earn this. I'll do everything else you ask. Just don't ask for this one thing. Jesus says, that's great. But again, like our story, be generous. What would it look like for you and I to live generous lives? What would that look like for us? In... 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, Paul writes these words. It says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Paul says, hey, be generous with what you have. And if you are, and you're cheerful about it, guess what? God can do amazing things through that. Now, we're not preaching the prosperity gospel here, okay? What we're saying is God will take care of the needs that we have if we're generous with what we have. But it's so tough because that is really, to be honest, that's probably the one big heart issue that every single one of us struggle with when it comes to our faith. And so how do we work through that? What does it look like to be generous? Well, this morning, I want us to look at two different words. Because they may seem the same, but they're actually quite different. One is generosity, and one is giving. And over the next few moments, I want to talk about the differences in these two and, and really challenge us to think about what this looks like for us in, in our lives. Here's the first part of this um, topic today first generosity is planned giving is emotional listen to this song what are you thinking about right now what'd you say sad puppies exactly everybody know what this is from commercial SBCA commercial please turn it off it's a terrible song it makes me think of sad puppies but anyway if you're like me, you see that or you hear that, and you're like, turn the channel, please, turn it right now. In 2007, they launched this campaign. It was the most um, successful campaign the SBCA has ever done. In two years, they raised over $30 million for sad puppies and sad animals. It's crazy, isn't it? How did they do that? It's all about emotion, right? It's strictly emotionally driven. And in fact, I get the band to come back up here and get in their spots. And they're like, hey, can you guys start playing Angel again, you know, from Sarah McLaughlin and see what happens? 
So everybody would get up here and they start playing the song, and then I could just start telling you these sob stories. I, I could try to make myself cry, and I could get down on my knees, and I could plead with you, and I could say, this is what we want you to give to. And you know what? Some of you would be like, yes, I'll do it, whatever it takes. Because we just get so emotionally moved by things that, that we give to it. But see, giving is emotional. Generosity is something that's planned. Generosity is something that we predetermine. It's something that we plan ahead for. Why do we get into debt with our credit cards? Because we buy based on emotion, right? I, I know how much money I have in my bank account, but you know what? Those are really a nice pair of shoes. Or I know much, how much money I, I got in my bank account, but I'd really like to go to that game. And, and so we just start swiping all the time. Debt comes from emotions. But generosity is something that is planned. And being generous means we plan what we give. You go back to verse 7 there in 2 Corinthians. It says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. This means we're not giving out of emotion. This, this means we're giving out of thought and planning. Because giving is emotional, but, but generosity is planned. Generosity is also consistent. Giving is sporadic. We know this about investing money. It's the power of compound interest. If we invest consistently, we, we allow our money to work for us, don't we? But sometimes we invest sporadically. Somebody will say, hey, I got this real, I got to tell you about this company. I got to tell you about this fund. You need to put your money in it. And you're like, okay, that sounds great. And we do, and then what happens? It tanks. And so we get rid of our money. We're like, give me my money back. And then we lose all this money out of that. Instead of saying, okay, I'm going to give on a consistent basis. That's why some of us set up our bills to come straight out of our bank account. Because we don't want to deal with it, right? We just want it to come out. We want it to be consistent. Even some of us in here, we give consistently. We've set it up. It just comes out of our bank account. It's such a healthy way to be generous because generosity is something that is consistent and giving is sporadic. But just like investing, being generous consistently, the impact that we can have can be so much bigger. That's why it's important that generosity is consistent and giving is sporadic. But generosity is also a percentage. Giving is an amount. In 2017, 14 billionaires got together and they signed the giving pledge. And they said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give away a percentage of our wealth. A percentage of our wealth. They didn't say we're going to give away $10 million or $50 million or $100 million or a billion dollars. They said we're going to give away over 50% of our wealth to philanthropic causes. Think about that. That's big. What if this morning I said, hey, guess what? Somebody this week said they were going to give the church a million dollars. In our minds, we'd all be like, man, that is amazing. That's crazy. What if I told you it was one of these millionaire, or billionaires? And, and this billionaire says, that's all the money I'm giving away this year. I'm worth $10 billion, but I'm just giving a million dollars to the journey. We'd be like, thanks. But that's not very nice in some ways. You're not being very generous. See, when we think about generosity, generosity is about a percentage. It's not about an amount. John D. Rockefeller is one of the richest men to ever live. Back in his time, he earned over $1.5 billion in his lifetime, which in today's dollars would be about $340 billion and make him the richest man even today. He had a three-pronged attack when it came to a plan to, to get rich. You might want to write these down, all right? His three-point plan to get rich. First was to go to work early, okay? Stay at work late. And the third one was find oil on your land, 
Sounds like a pretty good plan to me. Well, he not only earned money, but he gave money away. In fact, he gave away hundreds of millions of dollars. But here's one of the cool things about Rockefeller. He tithed. He had a small church that he attended, and he tithed to that church. Now, they must have had just an absolutely amazing church with the money that they were getting from him. But here's what Rockefeller said. He said, I would never have been able to tithe on the first million dollars I made if I had not tithed on my first salary, which was $1.50 per week. Do we want to be generous, or do we just want to give? Because generosity is about a percentage. Giving is about an amount. Why is this important? In their book, Passing the Plate, Why Christians Don't Give More Money, Christian Smith, who's a sociology professor at Notre Dame, and Michael Emerson, a sociology professor at Rice, they, they began to do some research and, and data and got surveys, and, and here's what they found. They found that people who say they follow Jesus, Christians, give only between 1.5 and 2.5% of their money away annually. That's all they give. Here's the conclusion they came to. Christians fail to see the impact they can make. They lack an eternal perspective on money. Let me read that one more time. Christians fail to see the impact they can make. They lack an eternal perspective on money. This really leads us to this next point here, that generosity is about mission. Money, or excuse me, giving is about money. Smith and Emerson found that only 12% of Christians tithe, which means they gave 10% or more of their money. And, but here's what they said. I love this, because they didn't just stop there. They didn't try to make Christians feel bad. They said, what would happen... What would happen if American Christians gave 10%, ready for this, of their after-tax income? Everybody wants to know, pre-tax, after Well, who cares? After-tax, that's what they decided on, okay? Do you know how much money we would have? $46 billion. I love it because here's what these guys did. They said, what can we do with $46 billion? They listed 44 different ways to impact our world. And I'm going to share just six of these with you. They said with $46 billion, we could take $10 billion and sponsor 20 million children worldwide with food, education, and health care. We could quadruple the current annual operating budget of Habitat for Humanity. We could provide food, clothing, shelter to all 6.5, and this is probably quite a bit higher now, million current refugees in Africa, Asia, the Middle East. We could prevent and treat malaria worldwide. Something that's close to us here at the journey. We could fund one million clean water drilling projects in the poorest nations. And we could start five million micro-enterprises. That's just six. And they have 38 more that they've listed. That if Christians said, hey, we, this means something to us. This isn't just about money. This is about the mission that we are on. And if we tithe on that, the impact that we can have. But, but what is the issue? The issue is we still struggle with our heart. And in fact, I think as Christians, so many times what we do is we look at the government still and say, hey, this is your job to take care of this. And I would say, no, it's not. It's a, our job as followers of Christ is to make a difference in this world, to impact the world that we live in. And we have the ability to do that. And yet we don't understand the eternal perspective. We don't understand the mission that we're on. And yet you and I, we, have, we, we hold the, the keys to 
unlock the doors to so much pain and hurt and poverty in our world, but yet we still struggle with our heart. We still struggle with who we are. We'll do everything else except be generous with what God has given us. Now, I know when um, we talk about a topic like this in the church, a couple things, um, a lot of people begin to think, oh, you know, you're just trying to pay salaries, or oh, you're just trying to keep the lights on, or oh, you're paying for those Skittles that are on our seat today. And that's what we think, right? And then other people think, well, they're talking about money. They must be in dire straits. Like, they're going to say, hey, this is the hole we got. Can I just tell you that last year, if I'm not mistaken, was the best financial year this church has ever had? And, and what we brought in was way above our expenses. This isn't about that at all, okay? Now, don't go home like, hey, we don't have to give as much now because they, they did well last year. That's not what we're talking about. No, we're talking about something bigger than that, that we are called to be on mission. And when we are generous, we can do even more to impact our world. And let me tell you what our generosity has done so far. If we look back at some statistics from 2017 here at The Journey, in 2017, we averaged 76 more people each Sunday, every single week than we did in 2016. In 2017, we saw a 15% increase in kids on a Sunday morning. Now, some of you are like, I've been here at the 930 service. It's like 115%. It's not actually 15% increase. But we've got a lot of kids here. It's amazing to see that. In 2017, we gave over $65,000 to impact our world. To our missionaries in China, South Korea, Africa, England, Central America, we gave to Koinonia, which is a local nonprofit that we help support with under-resourced families. Some of you live at Lansdowne Community, in that community there, and you know what? We do two events there every single year, and some of you are here at this church because of those events that we put on there. One of the things that's near and dear to my heart, last summer we handed out about 3,500 lunches to under-resourced kids in Springfield. At Springfield Estates, Chelsea Square, Springfield Square, we're looking to expand that this year. We think about that. That's, that's what happens when we're generous. But, but here's one statistic I, I love even more than those. Last year, 2017, we baptized 32 people here at The Journey. Let me tell you what that means. Statistics show that evangelistic churches, churches that are making a difference where they live, that are reaching people that are far from God, baptize about 1 in 20 people. We blew that out of the water. We baptize 1 out of every 15 people here at The Journey. Those are amazing numbers. And you know how that comes to be? It's because we are generous with what we have. And that's why as a church, we invite you to think differently, to not just give, but to be generous. Let me share something else with you because I think we're just getting started. 29% of the population in Virginia lives in four counties, Arlington, Prince William, Loudoun, and Fairfax. 2.4 million people. Now, I know you have those little city-states that are kind of in there, which is really weird here, but like Falls Church and Manassas City, whatever those are. I don't even know what those are. But anyway, um, but 2.4 million people live here in northern Virginia, just those four counties. 1.1 million live right here in Fairfax County. 19% attend a Protestant or evangelical church. If you look at 1.1 million people who live here, 600,000 people have absolutely zero religious connection at all we drive down franconia road and what's our thought have you seen all the churches it's like man they're just all these people go to church no they don't 
what we are experiencing here at the journey is not normal okay it's weird and i like weird okay so it's great the growth that we have seen sadly if we go into many of those churches we'll find they're struggling look just because there's a lot of buildings doesn't mean there are a lot of people that are being connected to god and so what would happen if we took that heart and, and had that heart and we let go of our heart to god and said hey i want to change who i am i, I want to be generous you know what i believe we could do we could start to impact 600,000 people who are far from God. There's 81% of people that are missing the opportunity to know who God is. It's an amazing opportunity that we have. And I just want to share with you a dream that I have for this church, and we've talked about this in our elders' meetings, and we're in the process now of kind of rethinking our vision and what our next steps are as a church as we move forward. But one of the things that we have talked about is what would it look like if we could grow this church to 700 to 800 people? Look, I, 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 there's things in this church I think we would love to just come in and do some remodeling and change. Maybe God blesses us to the place where we're like, hey, we just got to build a new building. I can honestly tell you that's not, that's not what I want to do, and I don't think that's what our elder team and leadership wants to do. You know what we want to do? We want to take the money that we have, and we would love to take 700 or take 100 to 150 people out of the 700 to 800 people who are here, part of this church, and then say, we're sending you off. You're going four miles away, and you're going to start a brand new church. Oh, we're back to 750, 800 people. Hey, here's 150, 100 people. We're sending you off, and we're going to start a brand new church. Why would we do anything like that? Well, one, there's so many people that are far from God. Being able to be closer to their communities allows us to impact more lives so that we can baptize more people. But two, when you have other congregations where great things are happening and things are thriving there, and the, the opportunity, especially if we're generous, it's huge, not just here, but in our world. I think about the amount of kids that could be fed during the summertime in our school. I think about the water wells that can be built in Central America. I think about the missionaries that we could support in other countries. Why? Because we understand that generosity is about mission. Giving is only about money. And that's when we invite people to be generous. And just like I think we find right here in this story, I think Jesus says, hey, I'm inviting you on this journey. Are you willing to go along with me? Because if you do, <laughs> there will be blessings that will be a part of it. Now, I know you're wondering, what do these Skittles have to do with anything that we're talking about this morning? Well, it's not our communion time, and Marshawn Lynch isn't coming to visit and speak today. Two people got that joke, which is about the same as the first service. But anyway, uh, if you need me to explain, I can explain that to you later. But um, Skittles are connected to a story. A buddy of mine, Patrick, lives in Centerville. He is a graphic designer and um, does some speaking, speaks at churches, uh, has worked with crew for a long time. And he tells a story about going to the movie theater with his son. He said they went to the movie theater, and they got there, and they went up to the concession counter, and he said, um, hey, you know, bud, what do you, what do you, do you like? And his son said, yeah, I'd like some Skittles. And so, you know, Patrick, you know, put out like 25 bucks to pay for the little bag of Skittles because it's at the movie theater. But he gave the, the Skittles to his son, and they went into the theater to watch the movie. So as they were sitting there, uh, Patrick started to think, like, man, I'd like to have a couple of Skittles myself. And so he leans over to his son. He's like, hey, bud, can, can I have a couple of Skittles? And he said his son sort of turned into this demon in that moment. <laughs> he's like, he grabbed the Skittles, and he's like, no, these are all my Skittles. 
Patrick said he thought a few things that he couldn't share in the moment in that conversation that we were having, and which I could totally understand. But he also thought, man, I got to go home and teach my kid how to share what he has. But he said as he sat there, he began to think about it. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. These aren't your skittles at all. I went to college. I got a degree. I got a job. I have an income. I paid for those skittles. Those are actually my skittles. And he said, you know what? I was just asking my son for a few. If you and I say that we're followers of Christ, here's what we understand. Our income that we have, the money that we make, it's not ours. It's God's. And in fact, everything we have, God skittles. And here's what God says to us. God says, I want all your skittles. No. That's not what God says at all. God says, those are my skittles. I just want a few. Would you be generous with that? Would you just give me a few skittles? Because that's all I'm asking for. All the rest of them, they're yours. They're my gift to you. I think so many times when it comes to us and money, we're so focused on it that we forget it's not ours. And God says, they're my Skittles. Can you spare a couple? I don't know what that may mean for you this morning. But I think there's a couple of next steps here. First, there may be somebody here this morning, you've heard this and you're angry and you're mad. You're like, I like this church, but I can't believe they're talking about money. I, you know, I, I don't ever want to give this church any money. Here's what I'm going to tell you, don't. I, I mean this from the bottom of my heart. Do not give this church any of your money. Here's why. Your heart's in the wrong place. Paul says, Jesus wants us to be a cheerful giver. Don't give. But here's what I invite you to do. Be generous. Call the SBCA today. It's like, hey, you know, during our service this morning, we heard the angel song and a member of the SBCA, and I want to give you guys some money. Go for it, all right? Give them money. Here's what I would tell you, though. I don't believe you'll receive God's blessings from that. If that's not the first thing that we do is are generous with what we have. There, there's another group in here this morning. You're followers of Jesus, and you're struggling with this. Your, your finances are tight. I understand that. You're in debt. I get that. We're not telling you to go into more debt to be able to be generous. We're not saying that at all. What we are saying is get a handle of your finances. Begin to plan what that looks like for you. Be consistent in what you are giving. Don't just think about an amount. Think about what it looks like to be generous. And maybe today is the moment you're like, you know what? This is something I've been holding back on. I want to be generous. And like I said, we're not saying this this morning, so you'll give us your money because we need it. We don't need it. God does. And I think God's got some amazing plans and opportunities and possibilities for us as a church. It just means that we're generous with what we have. There's another group in here. You are generous. Whether you have a little bit or you have a lot, you're generous with what you have. And God is using that to build and increase his kingdom here on this earth. Thank you for that. But wherever we are, can we just remember all that we have are God's skittles. And God says, if you give me a little bit, I can do amazing things. I hope we can take that to heart and I hope we can begin to live that out in our lives because I believe our best days are ahead and the impact that we can have will be so much bigger than anything that you or I could ever dream of if we're generous with the skittles that God has given us.